Hi, everyone. I'm Liam Sanyo from Inside Scientific, your favorite online source for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content helping you do your best work. This episode of Expert Answers features Dr. Rajendra Kumari and Dr. Hera Hovers, respectively Executive Director of Integrated Solutions and Director of Immuno-Oncology at Crown Bioscience, who recently joined us for a webinar where they provide an overview of the cancer immunity cycle and present several methods, techniques, and model systems for immuno-oncology research. Let's jump right in. let's jump in with a great question here. So which type of assays will allow for the analysis of immune cell migration or infiltration? Yeah, thanks, Liam. I think that's indeed a really good question. So actually, to be able to measure immune cell migration and infiltration, the best technology that can be used is probably using the imaging type of technology. There's, of course, alternatives available, for example, working with if you have two different compartments, and then you can also be able to measure the migration or movement of cells. Um, however, that would not be in a 3D type of assay. So really the imaging platform, I think, is the only one that can measure migration and infiltration of cells, which I think has nicely been shown in literature, available assays, but also uh, available at Crown. Fantastic. Great answer. Next one here. So how translatable are the in vitro models compared to some of the in vivo models mentioned for checkpoint inhibitors? Yeah, I can answer that one. So I think generally the most translatable models are the ones using the patient-derived materials, so like the organoids, like the EBPT, and then for in vivo, the patient-derived xenografts. And these really do represent the heterogeneity and the genomic aberrations you see in the clinic. Um, so, but the thing is, when you are using in vivo, the PDX models, you have to reconstitute the immune system into immunofficient animals. And this is typically done using donor PBMCs from healthy patients or CD34 positive hemophytic progenitor cells. Um, and you can achieve reasonable development of the CD4 positive and CD8 positive T cells for immune checkpoint evaluation. And similarly, for the organoid cold cultures, you can use donor PBMCs. And these, again, can be used for those uh, immune checkpoint inhibitors, inhibitors. I think there are limitations in that you are typically, if you look at the cancer immunity cycle, only mimicking the second half of that uh, full cycle. And this is because of the lack of T-cell priming or the activation following antigen presentation. And ideally, you can use, can actually use matched autologous systems, and this would avoid any allo-reactive sort of response. So I think, um, as you heard about the autologous organoid systems, have a great advantage of being not only relevant, scalable, but also uh, more relevant for something like the immune checkpoint activities. And again, you have the EVPT, which again has endogenous immune cells as well as stromal cells. So again, they're representing that tumor microenvironment more faithfully. So these are really very highly translatable models. Yeah, great point. Thanks, Jen. Another nice question here. Uh, can patient-derived organoids be used in vitro assays? without the use of extracellular matrix? Thanks, Liam. I, I will take that question. So I think in general, to, to get organoids growing, they need to be in an environment where they have this extracellular matrix, also for letting them grow in those into organotypic tissues. However, thereafter, you can take them out of this environment and maybe use a lower type of, a lower percentage of the extracellular matrix in, in assays. So thereby you have a bit more flexibility. However, 
I think we do believe that actually keeping this exoceller matrix is very valuable, specifically also to make sure that if you are going to make a complex uh, co-culture by incorporating different cellular players, that thereby also still this 3D environment remains consistent there and also immune cells or fibroblast cells will not just be in contact with organotypic tissues by coincidence or by gravity, but really by making sure that those cells move uh, to each other. So it's, a, I think, much more relevant to use extracellular matrix in those type of assays. Fantastic. All right, next question here. So from which type of indications can organoids be generated and used within in vitro testing? Yes, I will take that one as well. I think that's that's also a good question, and uh, it's important also with all those different indications that are out there with cancer that can we all address them in this type of assays? Definitely, actually, the, the organoid technology is extensively. And also within Crown, for example, we were able that to generate uh, organoid models from, for example, PDX models. So from our in vivo uh, mice models that are available, which further extended our organoid portfolio available and thereby also yeah, really increasing the, uh, the type of indications which were maybe uh, still limited in, in the organoid uh, field. So actually, yeah, many indications that you can come up with are available in organoid technology and thereby making them really a successful type of in vitro assay to use for your testing. Excellent. Do you think 3D model systems will replace in vivo models? Yeah, I think in some cases, maybe especially where there's no relevant in vivo model, then yes, 3D models may be the only option. And, and I'm specifically thinking about where there's early stage cancer, cancers, which can't, uh, you can't develop in vivo models, but you can certainly develop organoid models. But I think in, in the majority of cases, uh, 3D models will be necessary for maybe reducing, refining some of the in vivo experiments that are conducted. And also how and when we enter those animal studies, because those animal studies can be very time-consuming, uh, laborious and expensive. And also, I mean, there is still a requirement for in vivo systems, especially if you're looking at the impact of that, again, that whole cancer immunity cycle. Another case is if you're looking for combinations, let's say, to move forward with in vivo, I think in vitro can really uh, screen out those potential combinations. Whereas in vivo may be more advantageous if you're looking at a specific tumor microenvironment like the, the brain or the bone or generally just metastasis. So the selection, I think, of appropriate model system is going to be based on the specific question that's going to is being asked that will ultimately determine which model system is going to be sufficient. Um, and if you look back at some of the combination strategies for ipilimumab and nuvolumab, um, the MC38 model was used extensively in vivo, whereas in vitro, the assays were looking at, uh, showed enhanced cytokine secretion. There is a combination of the two types of systems really kind of building the whole story when you, when you are looking at some of those maybe combination strategies. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers and that you'll tune into future episodes where researchers just like you answer questions about their work and share science. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next time.